We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 432 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. Of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL, and you can find my writing at Packer Report. I have a fantastic show lined up for you today. I'm going to be discussing some Packers-Eagles notes, Devontae Adams' injury, some happenings around the NFL, take a quick look ahead to Dallas. But to help me do so, I've brought in a very special guest. My guest today is a sports reporter for WBAY here in Green Bay, Previously, she worked as a sports reporter and news reporter for KAMC in Lubbock, Texas. She is a former soccer player for Oklahoma State. She's been a color commentator for women's college soccer for Fox Sports Southwest, a reporter for the United Rugby League. She attended draft day with Patrick Mahomes. That's an incredible resume. My guest today is the one and only Bailey Burmaster. Bailey, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for making me sound a lot cooler than I probably am with that intro. I don't know. I've had a lot of pretty cool guests. That might be one of the best intros and best backgrounds of anyone that we've ever had on. Oh, well, I, I appreciate that, but I don't know. I don't know. You did a good job of selling it, sir. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So uh, let's just kind of start, first of all, with how you've kind of made your way uh, to Green Bay. I'd love to hear your story, what you think of Green Bay so far, your time covering the Packers. Just kind of give us the 101 and on how all that happened. Yeah, so I guess... I was previously working in Lubbock, Texas, as at the time of weekend sports anchor for Channel 28 there, K- KMAC. 
And my job was to specifically cover Texas Tech. Uh, football, basketball, baseball, I traveled for all of it. I got to go to the College World Series, March Madness, the Elite Eight. Um, got to cover Patrick Mahomes, as you said, and Cliff Kingsbury when they were at Tech. And I had a two-year contract there and had started looking and kind of always knew that I would go anywhere. I would, I've always had that mentality. I've moved a lot growing up that... I'll go anywhere for this job in this industry that is not always the greatest, but my job is very rewarding. So um, I interviewed here at WBAY probably, I, gosh, seven months ago now and just knew that I wanted to go somewhere where I enjoyed working with people. I got to travel and go live and I was covering professional sports. And I mean, what a time to be in Wisconsin covering the Brewers. Right when I got here, the Bucks were making their run. Uh, and of course the Packers. And my time here, I've it's funny because I went to school at Oklahoma State, which is in Stillwater, Oklahoma, a very small little country town. And I always told myself after I left college, you know, I want to get out of these small towns. I want to get out of these small towns. <laughs> And then I went to Lubbock, Texas, another small town in West Texas, and I fell in love with it. And it could have, it couldn't have been any better than I had expected for a career, my personal life, everything. It just made me a better person. And now I'm here in Green Bay, which is another small town in Wisconsin. But I mean, the character here, the people are so nice. And I mean, who's going to complain about covering the Green Bay Packers and experiencing Lambo every week? No, no, certainly not. Uh, the, you know, the metropolis that is Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, you know, it doesn't get much small town, uh, much more small town in professional sports than that. But like you said, a fantastic time to be covering Wisconsin sports. And as crazy as it seems, uh, Green Bay, while you've been here, kind of uh, third on the list of, uh, you know, most impressive teams since you've been covering the three of them. Yeah, it's funny you say that, because if you look at my history of teams I've covered, um, all of them have slowly progressed and really out achieved any goals they ever had, whether it was Texas Tech baseball, basketball, women's basketball got better, whatever it was, everyone puts the pressure on me that I'm the good luck charm. And now, now the Packers have to get back into the playoffs and go for the Super Bowl just because I'm here, which I just, I just don't want that on me. Let's just put that back on the Packers and put that as their responsibility. No, I think it's fair to put the pressure on you. If uh, the Packers succeed, it, the credit goes to you. If they don't, it, it falls on your shoulders. So uh, I I'll, wish you I'll the best of luck. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we hope you bring us some good luck. Uh, it, it, we could certainly uh, certainly use it. Uh, it's been a little bit of time, you know, from from a Packers standpoint since they've been in the playoffs. A long time for Packer fans. Not a lot of time for most other NFL franchises. But uh, two years seems like a eternity with uh, the way that their recent, uh, you know, their recent playoff aspirations have gone through the course of the last few decades. But I do have a couple other follow up questions on kind of your background. So you've obviously got to spend a lot of time with Patrick Mahomes. You were in the draft day a room with him. You covered him prior to. To that was there ever a time where you were something where you were just watching him play maybe it was a charisma about him maybe there was something maybe there was an it where you said you know what I think he's he's got it he's really going to be that good of a quarterback or did his uh you know his rise come just as much of a surprise to you as it kind of did everyone else his rise a surprise not at all anyone who was in Lubbock Texas Watching that team play knew Patrick Mahomes was special and he was going to tear it up. The reason he never got the hype he deserved was because the Texas Tech football team at the time, while he was there, was always not good. They were very bad, actually. And 
I always said that if he had had a better team, a better defense, but we all know the Heisman is a team award, he would have won the Heisman. The things he was doing, the no-look passes, all of that was happening at Texas Tech while he was there, and we were never surprised by it. And something that I think is also very important, everyone can downplay it, but I think being a good person and being humble in everything you do, especially as an athlete, is really important. Patrick Mahomes couldn't be a better person as well. Uh, that's a cool story. And I remember the first time I came across him, and I, I'm sure uh, a lot of people had kind of discovered him prior to this, but I was scouting Jakeem Grant the season that's before. Right. And uh, he, he kept just showing up and showing up and showing up. And I could I had to stop watching Jakeem Grant and just start watching Patrick Mahomes. Uh, for anyone that's been in Green Bay for any period of time, there have been no shortage of quarterbacks that have been compared to Brett Favre, whether it be J.P. Lossman or Rex Grossman or Kyle Bowler and just quarterback after quarterback after quarterback that have said, this is the next Brett Favre, this is the next Brett Favre. He was the first and only quarterback that I ever watched in college and said, he plays the game legitimately like Brett Favre. Now, I never uh, would have thought that he would have been able to come in and settle down. To be fair, I, I, I'm in the belief that Brett Favre up to this point has been the only quarterback in the history of the NFL that's been able to kind of play with that gunslinger mentality and actually get away with it and win a Super Bowl just because he was that special. So I had my concerns with Mahomes because so much of his play was outside of the pocket and so much of it was off script. But to be able to come in the NFL and play at that level so quickly, so dominantly, that's the only thing that surprised me. But some of those traits, man, like I said, the very first time I was watching Jakeem Grant the season before, just a special, special player. Oh, I mean, it, I mean, you said it all right there. And I just remember being at the draft party and talking to Cliff at the time and being, and I asked him, I was like, this match, how would you describe it? Him basically, and I meant that by Patrick going to Kansas City. He goes, oh, it's a match made in, he in heaven. Him and Andy Reid are absolutely going to tear up the league. And he wasn't wrong. That's exactly <laughs> what they're doing right now. I Patrick Mahomes has to be one of the most fun players to watch in the NFL. Period. No question. No question at all. So very cool that you've got to spend some time with him and again, be in that draft day room with him. I also have to ask, I don't think anyone actually knows this, but one of my actual true loves is actually soccer. I've coached varsity soccer for high school in the past, a uh, huge soccer aficionado. So uh, I'm curious, you spent some time playing soccer. You, I think you were elite eight. I forget. I think you were a, uh, a conference champion, if I remember correctly, but walk yep. me through a little bit of your soccer career and uh, how you kind of got into playing soccer and, and your just your career in general it's actually a really funny story I moved I mentioned I moved a lot growing up and when I was about seven or eight my family was getting ready to move again and at the time we lived in Chicago and I was figure skating and playing soccer and you know my parents sat me down and had the talk of you know we're really spreading ourselves thin we can't be doing all these sports it's time for you to choose one and focus on that and my parents were had no idea what I was going to choose because I loved both of them. And I was actually really good at both. They, there was a future at either figure skating or soccer. And to this day, I still remember and my parents laugh every time. But I looked my dad in the eyes and I said, I want to play soccer because I can hit people. <laughs> and the, the rest is history. From there, when I was in Georgia... Um, I did a lot of personal training with people. Uh, Marcy Miller played at, for the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, I, on top of that, was part of the ODP, which is the Olympic Development Program, which is what you begin 
doing at a young age, which eventually leads to trying out for the national team. So I played for the Georgia 93 ODP team. From there, I was actually chosen to try out for the regional team, which is, you know, states from that region have a team and play other teams in the region. And then from there, you go on to the national team. But I never tried out for a national team. Um, when it came to college, I knew I wasn't ready to stop being an athlete. I knew I wanted to con continue playing soccer and um at the time, I was living in Georgia, and everyone's like, oh, you didn't want to stay in the SEC, but I always had. I don't know if it was just how I was bred, but I always hated the SEC. It was like <laughs> they thought they were snobby and were better than everyone, and so, and I, I wanted to get away from home. The real answer is I wanted to get away from home, but I decided I wanted to keep playing soccer, and I visited a lot of schools in California. I, my first unofficial visit was to San Diego State. I looked at UC Irvine, um, but my my family, my dad's one of seven, and half went to OU. Um, a, a little less than half went to OSU, and then one went to Tulsa. And I told my dad, well, you know what? You know, I, I want to look at OU, I want to look at OSU, and I want to look at Tulsa. And I was actually offered a full ride to Tulsa, but when I visited, it just didn't feel right. It sure, wasn't, sure. it wasn't, it wasn't home. You know, that feeling they talk about, you just know when you just know when you know. Um, so I went to go on my visit for OU and the coaches never showed up. They just, it was, it, it sucked. They stood me up or they forgot. Uh, either way, I went to OSU and they were very honest with me and told me that, you know, they watched me at a, at a uh, tournament uh, where I actually ended up getting a violent conduct red card, which some people don't even know exist. I had to, <laughs> they had to stop the game and write me up for about five minutes. And then I was suspended for four games. Um, but the Oklahoma state assistant coach happened to be there and really liked what he saw because I was aggressive and the big 12, big 12 soccer is very aggressive. Um, so they liked what they saw and they, but they were honest with me. They said they had already given up all their money for that year, but they wanted me as a recruited walk on. Um, I took a couple days to think about it and then finally knew OSU is where I wanted to go. It's the school I grew up watching and I wanted to be a part of it. So I committed to OSU my freshman year. Um, we won the big 12 and went to the elite eight lost to Stanford. And then, um, I was still a walk on at this point and they were trying to cut the team down because we had too many girls essentially. And since I was a walk on, I was in, I was, it was possible I was going to get cut coming back from my sophomore year. So they had these expectations for me and I came in and I killed it. And I played, I traveled and played a little bit, actually. And I was actually put on about 20% scholarship. When I came back my junior year, um, I was actually starting and playing. And by my senior year, I was on a full ride. So it was really cool to kind of be on every level of the totem pole at Oklahoma State. Sure. And um, fight your way to that end goal. And I just remember when I was a freshman, I didn't want to be the walk on that didn't have any stats that the coaches could talk about at the banquet where they're just like, oh, she has a great head on her shoulders and she's a good person. I, that's great. But I wanted more than that. And I ended up getting that at my senior banquet as I was uh, also elected most inspirational my senior year. So it was really cool to come full circle. But with that being said, I knew after college I did not want to continue playing it. 
it does a it does a number to your body. I was over waking up at 5:30 to go lift and do the right things to keep my body in shape day in and day out. It was a full job, but I am so grateful for my time with Cowgirl FC and playing and I mean being an athlete has helped me become the sports reporter I am today, so I'm really grateful for my time. Yeah, you definitely sold yourself short in the intro. This is an awesome backstory. I, I, we could legitimately, at least I could legitimately spend the next 45 minutes just picking your brain on soccer and uh, talking about all of your experiences with that, which I'm sure are amazing. I do got to ask, though, and I think, you know, probably everyone's wondering at this point, you know, what did you actually do to get the the major red card and suspended four games? And, and was it worthwhile? And uh, was it deserved? Um Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, so we were, there's a big tournament in Florida at Worldwide Sports for, at Disney. And it's by far the most fun soccer tournament we played every year. And this year, we were returning. We were really good. We were one of the top-ranked teams in the nation. And we were in the semifinals. And we had to win to obviously go to the finals. And I'm, I'm very outspoken and I am very aggressive on the field. And, um, I'm a little, I was, I used to be a little bit of a, of a hothead, especially on the field. And I decided this girl just kept cheap shotting me in the back every time, like punching me, but doing it to where like the refs couldn't see. And after halftime, she just got me good and pulled my hair at the same time that I just, I lost it. I turned around and grabbed her by the head and threw her over my knee and kicked her and oh you I it was it I definitely deserved the violent conduct card I regret hurting that girl she was fine after but doing that is not a nice thing to do however I also feel like my feelings were warranted um my head coach at the time Jerome Samuels yanked me off the field and just ringed me a new one on the sideline as I sat there and um, I regret it because the next day we were in the finals we actually were losing at the time in that game came back in the semifinals won went to the finals the next day and lost and my coach looked at me because at the time I was a pretty I was I, I, I played defense um, at the time I was playing outside back but I was one of the outside backs that shot forward I took all our free kicks all our corners I played a very vital role in our team and we lost in the finals and he looked at me and said, we lost because of your dumb mistake yesterday. Oh, yeah, Ouch. it was hard, but it also is a good story. I can tell now. It is very much so. So a couple things, uh, I'm definitely going to make sure that, uh, you know, you and I are on good speaking terms and that I continue to stay in your good graces going forward, uh, because I don't want to cross your path in the wrong way. That's for sure. Uh, two, like you said, it's a very good story. And, uh, three, I definitely think you chose the right way because I don't think that never would have happened in figure skating. No. And when I tell people, it's so funny because once people know my background and know me, they're like figure skating, really? But I loved it. And I, I'm actually happy to be up here in Wisconsin because I know they have they have rinks around here and it's like a n normal thing up here. Whereas when I lived in Texas, like that, you could never just go ice skating or figure skating somewhere. So maybe I'll get back to my roots now. Maybe, maybe hockey would have been the right sport right. in hindsight. I think that's, I think you missed your calling just a tad bit. You were just okay. a degree off in both directions. <laughs> All right, so we should probably talk some Packers and some football. So, uh, Bailey, I want to start by just kind of getting your initial reactions to Packers-Eagles, some of the positives, some of the negatives, and just kind of your general takeaways from that game. Yeah, my, my first initial thought when I look back at this game is 
I hope this one doesn't come back to haunt them. I think this is a game the Packers knew they should have won. They easily could have won, but there were just areas that could have been so much better to help them win that game, whether it was special teams, whether it was red zone offense, or yikes, the run defense needed to be light years better. Um, Those were some of the things that kind of stuck out to me. But I, you know, on a positive note, people want to be really harsh on this offense, but when you think about it as a coach, what do you want to you we, every week you want to see improvement and i think in this offense that's what we've gotten and we finally saw them find a rhythm and click against the eagles which is a big deal because once you feel that and you see it and you know what you're looking for it starts becoming uh more repetitive and it's something that becomes more natural and you find a new consistency level um but i mean i think you found out that the Eagles are the t- first team you're facing with an actual decent, good offense and a very talented quarterback. And um, he's not even the best quarterback for our offense they'll face, obviously, this year. So they they better get prepared because there's some tough tests coming in the next couple weeks. Yeah, and Dallas will certainly be one of those, and we'll talk about that just a little bit later. But I'm kind of on the same page with you, Bailey, especially on that second thought of uh, that there were some positives to take away from this game. And like you said, I think this was the first game that we saw this offense clicking on all cylinders for more than just maybe a drive or two or a play or two here and there. And it still wasn't perfect, and there were still times where it stalled out, but there were a lot of steps in the right direction, and I think that's a big positive. And the, the reason I say that is I think... I think we've seen everything from this team now through the course of the season, except for the ability to stop the run when they've kind of needed to. They they held Chicago, you know, running the football in the first game, but it almost seemed like that was more to do with Chicago abandoning the run more than them actually stopping the run. Uh, then, you know, it follow up. Minnesota had a really great game running the ball. Denver did. And then, of course, Philly, you know, kind of was opening gaping holes throughout the course of the game. So that's the one aspect I don't think that they've shown yet that they have the ability to be great at. I think everything else in some game at some point we've seen now. We've seen good offense against Philadelphia. We saw great defense for three of the four games. We've seen a defense that has the ability to get some turnovers. Maybe haven't seen the some of the big explosive plays from special teams yet, but we've seen consistency there. We've seen J.K. Scott be a weapon. So I think we've seen some signs from everything again except maybe that run defense. But this was the first game where I think you saw that offense take a real step in the right direction. And I also think we finally saw some vintage Aaron Rodgers. Now, he almost had that pick six. He had the the play at the end of the game that got, you know, intercepted, unfortunately. But overall, I thought that this looked like a calm, confident, uh, you know, he got rid of the the ball really quickly. Uh, over, uh, overall, I thought he played a really nice game. And I, I think that was a really huge takeaway. And then lastly, I'll say, I think we finally saw some signs from some of the other weapons. Geronimo Allison had a couple big catches. Uh, MVS, this wasn't necessarily, you know, his standout game, maybe as far as a couple of the other big plays that he's made. But I thought he made some consistent plays in this game. And then Jimmy Graham, I thought, uh, of course, the 50-50 balls were were an issue, but he had the touchdown pass. And then I thought they kind of figured out a way to use him as kind of that box out tight end in the middle of the field, find some space in the zone, uh, just box everyone else out, use his size and kind of be a safety valve for Rodgers. So I thought there were some takeaways. And and I really do kind of agree with your your sentiment in that regard. No, and there's a couple things I want to touch on that you brought up, that run defense. They, everyone's kind of had a, a good running game against them, and the Eagles' run game isn't very good. 
if you if you compare them to other teams in the NFL. I, they've struggled a little bit, but they had their way with the Packers. Going back to the offense a little bit, too, I totally agree with your sentiment about Aaron Rodgers finally looking like himself again. You know, maybe they do need to play in all four preseason games to get back in the <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, no, but he finally was using his feet a lot more, which is something he actually mentioned uh, a couple days before the game. And, you know, something he hit on, uh, LaFleur hit on, they both said for this offense to get going in the direction it needs to go, Adams and Jimmy Graham need to be involved more. And they did that. They focused on that. And the offense was moving like it, it like we're a little bit more used to seeing. Yeah, and it was, a, it was a great thing to see. Unfortunately, Adams, of course, went down with the injury. Uh, but there were, again, some very positive signs from the offense. And like I said, I think we've seen a little bit of everything now. Now the, the question is, can they piece that together through really the course of the game? You know, because, again, Chicago was a game they won purely on kind of defense and special teams. Uh, you know, and then in the next couple games, they showed some signs on offense, but kind of sputtered out as the game went on. Those were games that were also kind of uh, really dominated by the, the defense, and, and really their turnovers went along way in those games so uh, I think the question is can they put together a full 60 minute game but but I think it's also worth noting you know at this point in the season you're four games in your quarter way through the season and we've seen struggles by by almost every team take the Patriots today they, they moved to four and oh but they looked awful against the Bills and the Bills defense today uh, and, and that's you know a Buffalo Bills team that is three and one and it was in Buffalo but New England couldn't do anything offensively you saw the Chiefs another four and oh team they probably should have lost in Detroit today uh, had it not been for a couple fluke fumbles and a couple fluke uh, you know plays overall uh, they probably take a loss we saw the Rams you know get completely blown out of the water in LA by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, you know Dallas is is playing as we speak they're in kind of a low scoring game with the the Saints uh, the the 49ers are 3 and 0 but they haven't really played anyone yet those are your remaining undefeated teams even the teams that are undefeated have shown signs of weakness or shown signs of imperfection i think green bay is in the similar boat where they've shown some signs of imperfection but they've also shown some signs that they can play with some of the best teams we've seen what chicago can do they defensively how good they are they absolutely shut down minnesota today uh, but green bay was able to stick in that game and win a really tough road game so overall i think a quarter of the way through the season there's there's kind of more positives than negatives no, I would told I would absolutely agree. And it sounds cliche because it's what they say to us every week, but this takes time. It takes time to hit your stride as a team and connect all the dots. You're just now figuring out what the weaknesses are. What are the gaps within your team that you need to close and improve on as you get into, you know, past this first little quarter of of season and the games you've played. You're learning a lot, which is good and just um, it, you, the potentials there, you can see it that if they connect all these pieces, you're going to have quite a team. Yeah, I think that's the hope. And uh, obviously the, the future will tell two really tough games coming up with Dallas and Detroit. Detroit looked really good today against Kansas City. So uh, those are going to be two very difficult games. And I think we'll know a heck of a lot more, you know, somewhere between three and three and five and one. And I think the the results of those next two games will tell us a lot. But uh, I, the one other thing I do want to quickly mention and, and kind of touching base on that Packers run defense, you know, I don't necessarily have a great answer against uh, Denver and against Minnesota. And I and I think at, the, at this point, we have to say that the run defense is an issue until proven otherwise. Mm -hmm. But I do think Philadelphia is one of the worst 
matchups possible for this Packers defense. We have seen this Packers defense very much want to get in their sub packages in their blitz packages with Mike Patton. And basically what Philly did is they ran a bunch of two tight end sets and they basically made Green Bay kind of pick their poison. And with Goddard and with Zach Ertz, it's mm-hmm. just a really big matchup nightmare. So if Green Bay went small, which they did through almost the entirety of the game, they took Ertz and Goddard and they used them as run blockers and they just kind of stuffed it down the Packers throats. But I guarantee you if they would have went a lot more base and they would have played a ton of BJ Goodson, they would have got Ertz or Goddard, Matt, you know, one-on-one with, with one of those linebackers. And that is a huge mismatch as well. So Green Bay had to kind of figure out a way to pick their poison. I don't think they ever reacted to it well. I think this is a team ideally you would have had maybe more than three days to kind of game plan for. Um, but I do think that this was a very tough matchup. I think Green Bay decided that they were going to go small uh, and try to cover those tight ends and, and make them uh, try to run the ball down their throats. And unfortunately, Philadelphia was successful in running the ball. And I don't know that there's a team that they're going to play the rest of the season that gives them quite the matchup problem that Philadelphia did. No, and I, and I can sum up exactly everything you're saying in one little sentence. And it's this Packers defense misses Oren Burks. Yeah, I think so. And I think Raven Green, too, honestly. Yeah. I think oh, both that, of those players. Of course, that, too. Yeah, no, both of them, just with the different defensive packages they can run with them. And even, you know, LaFleur even mentioned with Oren Burks, too, that, you know, they don't really have a time date for him, but he is progressing well. Hopefully it's sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. So, and I think that probably brings us a good point to to talk about some of these injuries. Of course, Oren Burke's still out, but three, you know, bigger injuries from this past game, Devontae Adams, Brian Bulaga, Kevin King. I know all the talk's been about Devontae Adams. Of course, you got Ian Rappaport tweeting about it. Sounds like it was a, uh, the lesser of the extent of maybe what it could have been, probably a two to three week injury, although there's no confirmation on anything yet. It could still be longer, could still be less. We don't know. We'll probably find out more this week. I'm actually curious. I haven't seen anything on Brian Bulaga or, or Kevin King, and I wasn't in the locker room uh, the past couple days that it was open. Have you heard anything more on Bulaga or King? Uh, and if even if not, what have kind of uh, what does Green Bay need to do to kind of fill their absence if any of those three players are out going against Dallas? Yeah, I haven't heard anything, so hopefully it's not too serious because clearly those are two guys you don't necessarily want to lose. You don't want to lose ever lose any of your star- starters. As far as Bulaga goes, you know. They put Alex Slide in, and I, I just don't know if he's the answer. There were you could there were obvious growing pains in the game that you could see, and I just think it shows that there's not a lot of options for the line after some of the guys on IR getting rid of some of the guys, and I think that you're showing that you miss Lane Taylor a little bit as well. For for King, groin those injuries are never fun. Um, hopefully, it's not too serious because sadly he was having himself a night against the Eagles and completely shutting down Alshon Jeffrey. Um, there's more depth maybe at that position, but once again, Jair says him and King are uh, the best tandem in the NFL, and you never want to break up those two. But I haven't heard anything else. I just hope. They have both of these guys. I remember seeing uh, Balaga on on the TV broadcast just moving his hand, even though it's his shoulder. Just, and I wonder if it's that sensitive, you know. Um, I'm I'm sure over the next week or so we'll have a more idea for not only idea for them two, but Adams as well, and because all of that is going to affect the game plan they have going into Dallas. 
big time. And it's probably worth noting, too, Tony Brown was also injured in that game. And, of course, Jamal Williams, too. So, uh, you know, if we talk about Kevin King potentially being out, well, probably a next guy up in that situation is a Tony Brown. Well, Tony Brown uh, goes out with an injury in that game, too. So that's concerning. And then, of course, Jamal Williams you have uh, coming back from a big head injury. So you don't know how that's going to go. So uh, a lot of injury questions that need to be answered. And, and going back to Alex Light for just a moment, yeah, there, there were times where it looked like he was completely overmatched. It'll be interesting to see. I did I did think he played a little bit better later. And, and as Matt LaFleur noted, Rogers' mobility uh, definitely helped out Alex Light on a couple different occasions. But I will be interested to see if maybe they, they have the discussion of going with maybe like a Lucas Patrick inside and in bumping Billy Turner out to tackle. Yeah. Yeah. Or if, or if they do stick with Alex light. So I think that's going to be worth keeping an eye on as well. If Absolutely. hopefully in the, in the case of this, isn't the case that Brian Bulag is out for any period of time, but if it is at least they do have potentially some options there. Exactly. I, I totally agree with you. And maybe Bulag isn't getting enough credit for how he's performed over the last couple of games against these teams, especially with the bears looking like pretty decent. That win keeps looking better and better. Yeah, it really does. And oh, by the way, Demarcus Lawrence coming up uh, with the the Dallas Cowboys and uh, Robert Quinn, too, who actually has looked really well tonight against uh, Teron Armstead as well. So uh, the edge rushers have been a gauntlet so far with Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, uh, Leonard Floyd, Khalil Mack, Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham. Doesn't get any easier with uh, with the the two Cowboys uh, edge rushers coming up in Quinn and Lawrence either. So uh, a healthy Brian Bulaga would be a great thing, especially for this coming week. Um, All right, let's talk about the Packers' weapons a little bit. We discussed how Green Bay got Geronimo Allison, MVS, you know, and uh, Jimmy Graham going a little bit more. We even saw a little bit from Mercedes Lewis. It seemed like there was an effort to try to to get the ball out quicker and try to get some of these weapons more involved. Of course, Devontae Adams had a very big role this last game, but now we're looking at a potential situation where uh, Devontae Adams might be out a couple weeks, maybe more, maybe less. We don't know yet. And even when Adams has been in there, this offense has maybe been – Missing that that maybe one-two punch, that complimentary weapon to go along with Devontae Adams. The running game hasn't been as effective as hoped yet. The longest run of the year has only been 15 yards. Aaron Jones, who's been a noted uh, explosive running back, has not been able to get those explosive runs so far. So it's kind of been on the shoulders of Devontae Adams with a, a splash play from MVS here or there. Do you think that they have the weapons that they need, or do they need to go out and try to acquire somebody that can maybe be that that number two to Devontae Adams? I hate this question, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's a good question. It's just, I feel conflicted when watching this team because I do like the weapons they have. I, I love MVS's speed. And I think, you know, Geronimo Allison brought a lot to the table against the Eagles. I think the issue lies is, are any of them ready to pick up that load on a consistent basis not just one game here and someone else comes up in this game you need someone who is that number consistent to guy I think I want to see Danny Vitale get the ball more Jimmy Graham has to continue to make a difference in these games this offense is not going to move if he doesn't get the ball either Um, I think you you saw that a little bit against the Eagles Um, I guess the answer to your question that you're looking for is that I like a lot of these receivers. I really do. The issue is there's a growing period when you get into the league. There's an absolute growing period. 
And the Packers don't have time for a growing period. So someone either needs to step up or possibly they need to go out and get someone or give some other guys some reps and opportunities to step up. You know, I it's funny because I didn't know there was like a Jake Kumaro fan club when I got here. Oh, there is. <laughs> oh, it's huge. Yeah. And you know what? I'm here for it. And maybe I need to get on the bandwagon. I, am, I know he's been hurt, but maybe he needs to get some opportunities in, against Dallas and see what he can do. Um, you know, I want to start my own fan club, maybe. And that's because I covered Alan Lazard in the Big 12. And, you know, throughout his career, he had some maybe crucial drops when he was at Iowa State. However, he made some big plays. He's one of those guys who can just lay out. I would love to see him get more opportunities and reps, which you actually saw happen a little bit um, with the Eagles once Devontae went down. I just I don't I don't know if they do have they do have someone right now. I I think they have playmakers in the making, but you don't have time. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I do think you bring up a really great point, too. And, and you know, if Devontae Adams is, in fact, out against Dallas, which, again, we don't want to necessarily speculate yet, but it would cern- certainly seem that maybe it's trending in that direction. Um, if that is the case, it's going to be a great opportunity to see exactly what Green Bay has with these weapons, Sands, their number one option. And that probably equates to more playing time for Geronimo Allison. Of course, MVS is going to get a ton of time. But then you get, you know, maybe some Jake Kumaro time, some Darius Shepard time, some more two tight end looks, maybe Robert Tanyan gets some more receiving options. So uh, I do think that this is a a, a big couple weeks for them to potentially get a look at some of these players to see if maybe one of them or two of them are capable of carrying a little bit of a bigger load. And maybe they they can be the the true secondary option to Devontae Adams. But I will say, let's say maybe they go one and one in their next two games and none of these options have really stepped up and you get Devontae Adams back. I do think around the trade deadline that uh, that there would be it would be a worthwhile effort to take a look at what's out there. I look at a player potentially like an Emmanuel Sanders, and I know that's been uh, discussed a lot already, and the, the Broncos are 0-4. I still see him as a very talented player. He made some big catches today. I just think that that's like a, a number two ideal option for um, uh, you know for this team, having a veteran player who can still play at a high level. And I think it just bumps everyone back one notch, and it still gives them opportunities to be successful in their specific role. So you put Devontae Adams and MVS on the outside with an Emmanuel Sanders type receiver in the slot. I think that gives you a ton of options. I still think it gives you the you know plenty of snaps for a Geronimo Allison. Uh, so I just think that that sets everyone up a little bit better. And maybe most importantly, I just think it sets you up where if you do get later in the year and all of a sudden Devontae Adams does have a, another injury where he misses a game or two later in the season, that you actually have somebody who you feel confident stepping up and maybe being that number one type caliber player. But the last thing I'll say is no team ever that's won the Super Bowl has been perfect across the board, right? So everyone has maybe a position that they'd like a a player or two better. You go back to the Packers last Super Bowl and you've got players like Frank Zombo that's starting, Charlie Pepper that's starting, you know, Howard Green's playing a a big role in the the defensive tackle position in the middle of that defense. These are no-name players that, you know, maybe made a nice role in their career at some point, but these these were nowhere near standout players. At some point, you have to win with the players that you have, and it's not always going to be the ideal 1A player, but I, I think that you are right in the fact that they have enough playmakers on this team. It's, they just got to get everything running on all cylinders. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, I like the players they have. It's just they can't pop up here and there. Someone, no. and it doesn't have to be the same player every game stepping up consistently, but you have to have that consistent guy you're, that Rodgers is just meshing with 
at least once a game, whether it is GMO or MVS. You know, I just I don't think we've found that consistency that you would like to see with an offense. 100% agree. So that'll definitely be something to keep an eye on going forward, especially again, if if Devontae Adams is out for a, a couple weeks here and, and who steps up in his absence. Uh, it seems crazy to say this, but we are already a quarter of the way through the regular season. The Packers have played four of their 16 regular season games. I'm curious to see who your offensive and defensive MVPs are. I'm not even going to give you an option on special teams because of course it's J.K. Scott. We're not going to debate that. <laughs> so, uh, offensive and defensive MVPs so far through the first quarter of the season. Okay, I'll start with the defense, and um, I had to the honorable mentions. I didn't want to pick the obvious, so um, you know I think Kevin King has really had moments of shining, uh, especially against the Eagles before he got hurt. The Smiths, but like everyone's talking about the Smiths, we all know they're good at this point. Um, They were big pickups this offseason, so I didn't necessarily want to go with them. The person I'm going to go with my defensive MVP, honestly, is Blake Martinez. Uh, he's, he's someone that I've just seen. He flies around the field, absolutely flies around the field, and how he's handled the pressure at that position um, with kind of losing Oren Burks and then preseason having to help younger guys like Curtis Bolin and Ty – I just think he's out there flying around and he really is the leader of this defense, something he mentioned during training camp. And I just think he's really valuable to this defense and uh, Penton, quite frankly, I think leans on him in that position as a linebacker. Um, I don't know if you want to respond to that and then go, go to my offensive player or. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go quick. I, and I, so I, both myself and Ben Fennell noted through the first three weeks of the season, how, how much different Blake Martinez has looked. He, he looked more explosive. He looked quicker to the football. And uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how he ends up grading out for me uh, against, uh, against the Eagles. Cause I thought there were a couple times where he made a couple incorrect reads and was a little bit slower. And he, he kind of looked like, uh, he, like he took a little bit of a step back, but I will say this, I think he's, had a phenomenal first quarter of the season overall, regardless of what happened against Philadelphia. And I do think that he a little bit was in a, you know, kind of an inenviable position of having no real uh, linebacker mate to play next to him that he's felt comfortable with. Like you said, there's been uh, players rotated in through the course of preseason. And then week one, all of a sudden he's got a a brand new player in BJ Goodson next to him that just got acquired to the team. So I I don't think he's had that consistency. He's making all the calls on defense. Uh, He's played every snap. At least he did going into this last game and I didn't see him come out this last game either. So I think he's played every snap so far. So he's been a massive, massive, uh, you know, presence in the middle of that defense. And um, I think they've also put done him a disservice at times of playing a lot of these super small lineups. I would agree uh, with that. I would totally agree with that. And, and then you have to think from his perspective, that's a little hard. Yeah, for sure. No question. I mean, you see a lot of times where there's some big 300, 320 pound guards that he's got to navigate in the middle of that field. Uh, Kenny Clark does yeoman's work kind of keeping blockers off of him a lot of times, but uh, this is not a defense that always keeps their linebackers clean uh, at all times. And we've definitely seen that with Blake Martinez. Yeah, no, I, I, and I agree. And someone that, you know, also I, I just, you can see their, you can just see their experience as Adrian Amos. Yeah, he helps helps this team a lot, especially defensively. So he's someone, you know, there's there's a lot of guys you could choose for a lot of reasons on this defense that I just felt like has made a lot of strides. Um, But I just think with the position Blake Martinez has been put in and the way you've seen him handle it all, I, I, I wanted to choose him for sure. No, I like that choice a lot. And how about on offense? 
gone back and forth on this one a while because quite frankly I don't know if anyone deserves it I, I actually kind of like that answer because I'm kind of totally with you I the, the only one I can kind of come up with is Brian Balaga like I could kind of make a case for but everyone else I just don't think we've seen enough yeah, that, that's where I was at too. I I have down on paper Aaron Rodgers because I thought I thought through the course of the first three games he did a good job of managing those football games, kind of taking what was there for him and not making any major mistakes or any turnover worthy yeah. plays. And I thought that was enough in those first three games that he was able to lean on the defense. They were able to get in a lot of plus situations with what their defense did. And it was just kind of his his calm collective play, his veteran leadership that kind of helped in that situation where I think a lot of other quarterbacks in that situation maybe try to force some things, maybe turn the ball over and, and legitimately one turnover in any of those first three games could have completely changed any of those outcomes. So I thought he did enough in those three games where he played smart and then and in the fourth game, of course, you have almost the, the pick six. You have the interception at the end. You've got the fumble that was forced with Mercedes Lewis missed his block. But I thought this was also his best game, uh, you know, just from how he moved the football, got the ball downfield. He was attacking. He was mobile. I thought he looked like himself. So if I had to choose somebody, I was going with Aaron Rodgers. But I kind of agree with you. There isn't necessarily a player that stands out as a true MVP. And certainly Rodgers isn't in that form quite yet. And it's funny when you say when you when we talked about what we we're going to talk about Rodgers was the first one that came to mind because I totally agree with you it's not that he didn't think crazy but he played clean I totally and like if you're looking at the Eagles game he totally looked like himself again you know I agree with all your points but I didn't I didn't want to take the easy answer and the thing that was coming to my mind is like I MVP like that's a big like that's a big deal no matter if, even if it's just on your podcast and I'm <laughs> yep. ready necessarily to hand it out to anyone there's nothing bigger than this podcast, Bailey. This is the, the creme de la creme. This is as big as it gets. Um, no, I went with uh, Rodgers on offense, but I kind of actually like your answer a lot better. I think it's still an incomplete at this point. And uh, on defense, I did go Preston Smith. I just think he's been consistent through four games. Uh, he's graded out well in every game. Again, I'm not quite finished with this week's yet, but I, he's still already had some flash plays on defense. So uh, I, I just think he's he's had consistent pressure. And the reason I don't I don't necessarily know that this was maybe the obvious answer because I. I I think Zadarius has still gotten maybe a little bit more pub just based on the leadership, the captain, uh, and, and just kind of the way he plays. And, and I think actually Preston's outplayed him just even by the smallest of margins so far. So uh, that's where I went. You could give it to a lot of players on this defense so far, though. Yeah. And you, I, I got to be honest with you, Andy, you chose the basic answers. I you're, did choose the basic answers. You're very answers. basic this podcast, and I'm mad at you for it. But you're not totally wrong either. Yeah, no, I, you know what? I, I think I deserve the crap that I'm getting for that, but I'm going to stick by my answers nonetheless. I'm going to go with Rodgers and Preston, but even, even if I may like your answers a little bit better, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die with mine. So, all right. Uh, I do want to take a quick look to ha look ahead to Dallas. Nothing you know major here. We have all week to kind of prep for this, and uh, the rest of the podcast team will do a great job of breaking down some of the specific matchups, but anything that you're specifically looking ahead to and what Green Bay might need to do to get away with a victory? Um, they better fix that run defense. <laughs> they better fix that run defense quick because Ezekiel Elliott is not just going to eat when he plays the Packers. He is going to feast on them if they don't get it figured out. So just to clarify here, you're giving me crap for going basic answer, and then you <laughs> are following it up with the most low-hanging fruit possible of we need to stop Zeke Elliott in the running game. I 
Am I wrong? No, you are not. Okay. You are not in any way, shape, <laughs> or form. You're going to die with my answer. <laughs> Perfect. No, I'm 100% on board. They absolutely have to stop it. And, and I, you know what? Uh, like I said, it's the one thing that they haven't shown yet. I actually do think that they have the players to be a successful run-stopping team, starting with Kenny Clark. This defense revolves around what he does in the middle of that defensive line. I think Tyler Lancaster, Dean Lowry, hopefully Montrevious Adams is back. Blake Martinez playing behind him. The, the safeties are good, strong safeties that you know generally make sure tackles. Savage had the one play against Dalvin Cook that I know he'd like to have back, but he's been very sure outside of that. So I think they have the players to be a good run defense. They have massive edge setting, you know, players in Preston and Zadarius and Rashawn Gary that that can, you know, kind of keep everything maintained and, and kept it centralized. So I think they have the players to be a good run stopping defense. They just have to show it. They get the extra time to, to practice for it. They get the extra rest. I think they're going to be ready to stop Zeke Elliott and the Cowboys run defense. I'm going to make a bold prediction that they help, they hold him under hundred yards rushing. Okay, I'm going to yeah. hold to that. I'm actually going to Dallas for the game, and as soon as that game's over, I'm going to have to text you uh, whether that your prediction held up or not. That my hope is that it is. We'll see if I'm, I've, I've I've been wrong before a couple times. It's pretty <laughs> rare, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'll look forward to your text. Hopefully, it's uh, telling me how right I was. <laughs> well, I, alternative. I, something else you, you just have to talk about is the strides this Dallas offense has made. Offensive coordinator Kellen Moore has done wonders with the weapons they have, whether it's Dak, Amari Cooper, Witten. They've just, they're playing to their full potential. I say that as I currently don't know what's going on in the Saints game. But they, they have 10 points with 12 <laughs> minutes uh, left in the fourth quarter here, although they do have the ball. Oh, good. Okay. Um, no, but I, I mean, just seeing what Amari Cooper did last season completely changing that offense and helping them just win period um they're just playing really well together at this point um there's the Packers defense is gonna have their hands full and they talk about you know the Eagles game just being a bump in the road well okay then let's see what you're really made of in Dallas yeah, it's going to be a really fun challenge, and no matter what happens in the Saints game, they're going to present a lot of challenges. Uh, Jason Witten as a, a tight end over the middle who knows how to find those little soft spots. They've got the weapons in Amari Cooper and, of course, Randall Cobb, which is still so bizarre to say. Uh, Zeke Elliott, Pollard is an issue, and they use him, so it's a very tough one. And then you, you talk about Philly being a, a tough offensive line. Dallas might be the only one that has the players that's actually better than Philly, so yep. it's it's going to be a major challenge. No, it's going to be huge. I think Dallas has the number one offensive line in the league, so they're going to have their hands full. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if, if if they answer or not to the challenge. Let's hope that they do. Uh, lastly, we touched base on a couple of the results already from today, but uh, Mitch Trubisky gets injured in the Bears game, but they still beat the Vikings and, and basically completely cripple the Vikings offense. Vikings offense did absolutely nothing. Lions lose a very tough game to Kansas City. Again, a game they probably should have won. Any major takeaways from the results this week uh, in the NFL? Um, let's as, as far as the Vikings go, I mean, that offense is struggling. I think Kirk Cousins hasn't exactly played the best, and they're having trouble finding finding their playmakers. Dalvin Cook has been pretty solid, except he was shut down today by the Bears. Um, for the Bears, that win, I mentioned it earlier, but the Packers went over the Bears, keeps looking better and better because despite Mitch Trubisky may, maybe not being the greatest quarterback ever, that it looks like a good win. Um, and I mean, the fact that Chase Daniels was able to come in and get the win against the Vikings, 
that's not a good look for Minnesota. Um, and for the Lions, I think you learned a lot from that takeaway. I know they lost an L is an L, but they can compete with anyone. If they can compete with the Chiefs, they can play with anyone in this league. And you have to take notice of that because it was a pretty exciting game. Yeah, it was an exciting game. A game, like I said, D- Detroit probably should have won. And uh, they, they look like they're going to be a very tough out. And, and, of course, we know Green Bay's had their trouble with Detroit as of late. So uh, you can't look ahead, of course, past Dallas. But those those next two games certainly going to be very, very challenging. All right, Bailey, this has been fantastic. Any final thoughts today? Um, Final thoughts. Uh, something that stuck with me that safety Adrian Amos said in the locker room. He said that if someone had told you in training camp in your first four games you were going to be three and one, you'd gladly take it. Yeah, you'll take three and one every four games. If they go three and one the next four games and the four games after that and the four games after that, uh, you'll you'll take a 12 and four season every single time. So it's a really great start. And, and I, th- I think maybe the most undersold story so far is that uh, a three and one start for Matt LaFleur is so incredibly important for a first time head coach. If you go two and two, one and three, oh and four, those question marks start popping up right away. We've seen a lot of other rookie NFL coaches who are massively struggling. You look at Denver, who's oh and four, you know, who, you know, they lost their fourth game today and had some very questionable decisions that they made. That starts kind of uh, you know, some of those questions can start adding up really, really quick. You start wondering if you made the right choice, the right decision. Maybe s- players start kind of going rogue a little bit and w- wanting to do something different. The fact that they start three and one with a rookie head coach, and now for the most part, things are positive. They lost to a very talented, very desperate Philadelphia team on short rest. I think that's an okay loss. You're two and zero in the division. They're in a good spot. They just need to continue to follow it up. I totally agree, and it kind of brings up another point that I'm thinking about from being in the locker room. And Geronimo Allison said, you know, he doesn't know what we that what the players are like when they get an L, but we don't know what he's like when he loses either. And more importantly, not only losing, but how you respond to it. And I think it will be very telling as we get into this week and uh, head into the game against the Cowboys. Yeah, and I think I, I I loved what I've seen so far after the loss because I've I've said you know things are always going to be you know swimming with a new head coach. You've got you know the big free agent acquisitions, two top twenty five picks. Everything was always going to be very positive until they got punched in the mouth and had their first you know you know set of adversity. I, I loved how they handled everything. The Smiths are still doing their their locker room together after the game, even after a loss. That you know it's not just one game that's going to define them. You know I thought Matt Lafleur was still very good in his presser afterwards and hit on the positives, but also noted some things that they need to work on. So far, it's one game, and uh, the bigger response will be how they respond going to Dallas, but I like what I've seen so far even after their first loss this season. I I, I totally agree, Andy, especially in being in that locker room after the loss. I, I my first losing Packers locker room, I didn't know what to expect. I'd heard, you know, it's not great. No one wants to talk, but Everyone was talking, everyone was, you know, calling out the mistakes and what they saw and just was, was, you know, taking it in, but ready to turn the page. And I think it's the exact attitude you have to have. Yeah, losses can be great uh, learning tools. And if they can learn from their mistakes, fix that run defense and build on the things that they did well, they're going to be in a very, very good spot going forward. So time will tell. Uh, Bailey, like I said, this was absolutely fantastic. Before I let you go, where can we find you and uh, where can we follow you on social media? Yeah, you can find me on Channel 2, WBAY, with all the reports during the week. And of course, social media. I'm really big into social media. Message me, ask me questions. I'll respond. I'm pretty good about it. Uh, Twitter 
is Bayburn TV. So B-A-Y-B-U-R-M-T-V. And then I'm on Instagram too at Bailey Burmaster and Facebook is Bailey Burmaster too. B-A-I-L-L-I-E. B-U-R-M-A-S-T-E-R. If you think my first name is spelled weird, you can blame my parents. <laughs> Nothing basic about that first name. No. I'll give you that. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time. Please make sure to go follow Bailey out on Twitter. She does fantastic work, does a great job interacting with the fans, and uh, really knows her stuff. So definitely go make sure and do that. Uh, Bailey, again, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Uh, Make sure to listen in, everyone, tomorrow to Matt, Dan, and Janelle as they get you ready for Packers Cowboys. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. Thanks to Bailey, but again, until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.